We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast around the Blue Iron Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell, as always. I'm here with Jason Pat. Jason, the Bulls finally got their first win of the second half of the season, a 118-95 victory over Toronto. Certainly, this Raptors team is not the one we're used to seeing the last couple of years. They are headed downhill fast. They're missing a bunch of key players, and the Bulls, uh, you know, took care of business last night behind a new starting lineup with Thaddeus Young and Thomas Sadoransky replacing Wendell Carter and Kobe White for the first time all season in the starting lineup. Yeah, so this came after an ugly loss to the Miami Heat against Jimmy Butler. Uh, that game was without Bam Adebayo, so the Heat have been shorthanded a bunch of the season, but they're on a roll right now with Jimmy. Jimmy is playing like at an MVP level, and he had a huge game. Him and Zach were kind of going back and forth. Uh, and the fourth quarter was competitive, and then Goran Dragas just went absolutely off in the fourth quarter. The Bulls could not keep up, uh, and they lost that game. I think it was 101-90, to just an ugly game. So I think that was just kind of that losing that game, losing getting blown out by the Sixers, uh, I mean, it just kind of had the feeling of like we need to. Billy Donovan just had the feeling that we need to change something up here. Like we can't keep losing these games and let the season kind of just go uh, start falling apart here. So he it broke. I think like late Saturday night, uh, it broke that uh, through Darnell Mayberry of uh, the Athletic that he was going Billy Donovan was going to make this lineup change. Like you mentioned Thaddeus Young and Tomas Sadoransky getting those vets in the starting lineup, moving Kobe White and Wendell Carter. To the bench, uh, Wendell, after that Heat game, he had just been really struggling. I know a lot of people are talking about like his press conference after that game where he just seemed like super depressed and uh, just just really struggling. And and I know we've talked about like the Kobe-Sato thing for a while. Like, should they start Sato? Should they move Kobe to the bench? Because we think he might be just be better as that bench scorer type. Uh, so they do make the move. And again, it is hard to take too many or to like make – like too many judgments. I mean, one game in general, but especially against a Raptors team, which was like full trashers, uh, hashtag trashers, throwback to the uh, Jimmy Butler days when he was with the Bulls and he would absolutely crush the Raptors every time. But 
I think the Bulls hadn't beat the Raptors in something like 12 games since the Bulls had like a huge streak. So the Bulls ended some big streak against the Raptors. But I mean, no Fred VanVleet, no Pascal Siakam, no uh, OG Ananobi. I think they were missing a few other guys. So, I mean, the Raptors were tossing out guys like Henry Ellenson, who they just signed to like a 10-day deal. And um, Marquette West, let me... Yeah, uh, you, you was it UT? What's this guy? Watanabe uh, off Utah. Wat, Watanabe off the bench. Uh, Paul Watson, like Matt Thomas, DeAndre Bembry. Just uh, Ter- Terrence Davis was starting. Aaron Baines, who's been kind of washed, like Stanley Johnson. Like it was basically Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry were doing literally almost everything with like a little Chris Boucher uh, chi- uh, mixed in there. But I mean, just a completely mess of a roster. So like again, you can't take too much from one game here, especially against a depleted roster. And, like, the Bull- the actual starting group of this new starting lineup of the Bulls, they were actually a minus seven in, like, the 11 minutes they played. They were, I think, minus one in their first stint, and then, again, they played a few more minutes, uh, and they were a minus seven overall. But, like, everything else kind of fell into place after that. Like, Kobe and Wendell did play pretty well off the bench. Uh, Wendell came in and was very aggressive early. He had, like, seven points in the first quarter, nine real quick points in that first half. Ended up with a double-double. Kobe did not have the best shooting game, but he was like a plus 24. I mean, the Bulls bench just absolutely crushed, crushed the Raptors. Something like almost 50, like almost doubled up their reserve points in general. Uh, we saw Denzel Valentine hit double figures and he hit, he went on this just insane run in the fourth quarter because for a while, the Bulls, this game was kind of like just hanging around. Like the Raptors were within shouting distance at like t- 10 to 15 point game. Uh, and then early in the fourth quarter, Denzel hits three straight threes. His third one is just this pull-up heat check in transition with like nobody else around, uh, no other teammates with him. He's just like, I'm getting this ball. I'm chucking this three-pointer. And it went in and he starts just going crazy and shouting at nobody like in this, there's nobody in the stands. Just going absolutely nuts. Like he's winning, uh, like going, throw back to like the Summer League Championship days. Denzel Valentine, Summer League champ. Uh, I made a joke about it on Twitter. I feel like a lot of people got upset that I was like thinking that I was like mad at him for doing it. Like, I mean, it was, it was hilarious. He looked like a goofball doing it. And just like, just classic. I wrote in the bloggable recap. It was like pure uncut Denzel Valentine energy uh, with that. And that, that, I think that gave the Bulls an 18-point lead from there. Like, it was, it was over. So, like, I mean, I guess, like, in terms of the actual lineup change itself, like, I mean, I get it. Uh, like when you're struggling as bad as they had, the, start, the starting lineup has been so bad. I mean, it's something we've talked about all year, getting off to slow starts. Uh, the start, young starting lineup has like a minus 18 net rating. And Billy Donovan referenced the analytics and all that kind of stuff making the ch- after making the change and talking about his rationale. So uh, so I get it. Like They're trying to win games. we got the trade deadline coming up in 10 days. Uh, they're trying to turn some things around here. Uh, so, you, so you make the move with the veterans. We know Zach and the Vets has worked well. Um, we saw Thad Young. Uh, he obviously brings a nice presence there in the passing uh, with him and Sato as well. Just two smart passers into that starting lineup, and the Bulls racked up 35 assists. Jim Boylan would be uh, would be fired up about that. He always talks about talked about last year the Bulls getting 35 assists per game, even though no one's come close to averaging averaging that ever. Uh, but we saw Thad. Uh, we saw Thad and Patrick Williams actually have a really nice connection. Pat Williams, career high twenty three points on nine to fourteen shooting, and we saw Pat do just really smart off ball cutting. And when you have smart passers like Sato and Thad Young, and yeah, Zach's getting better as well. Uh, Thad hit Pat Williams for four assists yesterday. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure they were all on just cuts to the basket, getting great looks around the basket. Uh, so that I think that will help a guy like Patrick Williams just having those kind of passers in the lineup. And when Pat's a guy who can who makes those smart cuts and just kind of knows where to be offensively, I think that should help. Um, 
just besides that, just having the vets there kind of stabilizing the whole thing. Like Zach had like a quiet game yesterday. Lowry had a quiet game, but just it was a, it was just a very balanced scoring. Nine guys in double figures. The Bulls hadn't done that in like fifty years or some shit like that. So like, uh, I mean, they they played decently. I wouldn't say they played great. They didn't shoot that well from three. They it was like 26 percent. But just like overall, it was good team basketball. They were moving the ball. They played pretty smart, and they took care of business against a really bad team. Ricky. Your thoughts on this lineup change? Do you think they should have done it? Do you think this was too late? Do you think they should have just kind of kept rolling with what they were doing? What do you? What is your take on? Yeah, this? it's interesting because you know, for once, the Bulls have a head coach in front office that are on the same page, working in tandem. Yep. This isn't a case of like Thibodeau versus Garpax, where it seemed like they had dueling agendas. Uh, by all reports and all accounts, Donovan and Karnaschovas are totally in this in tandem. So when it comes to the lineup changes. You know, the first thought, I think, is that with the trade deadline approaching, does this sort of indicate how the Bulls are thinking heading into the trade deadline? Uh, You know, there was that recent report that Thad Young could perhaps be the most desirable player on the NBA trade block. Uh, So the Bulls are sort of having to balance, do you want to trade Thad Young, who has been a key to, you know, whatever their moderate lack of success is or their moderate success has been this season? Uh, versus trade him, get the asset, and go down the standings, basically, to get a lottery pick. And, uh, to me, like I, I sort of believe the reports that the Bulls uh, are leaning towards keeping Thad Young, and you know they don't have Thad Young on the table currently in trade discussions. I have no inside information on that, to be clear. Uh, but it just seems like there's been not much buzz around any potential Thad deals, it seems like uh, obviously Karnashovis has taken a really patient, let's say, approach uh, since taking the Bulls job. And I think that, you know, there's part of both Donovan and Karnashovis that just wants to make the postseason, try to get their guys some experience in the play in tournament, and then figure out the roster from there. I don't think that they feel a huge sense of pressure on their shoulders to, you know, immediately tear this thing down and build it back up. I don't think they see any quick fixes. So uh, that's what I thought was so interesting about moving Sato and Thad in the starting lineup is, to me, it indicates that the Bulls probably will not be sellers at the trade deadline. And, you know, me and you can debate back and forth whether we think that's the prudent move. Uh, Personally, I would be really disappointed if the Bulls were quiet through the trade deadline. Uh, I think that, you know, they remain... They need to do something. They remain... very far away from any level of contention. Uh, I think, you know, there's a thought that they could be buyers even. And I think that, you know, depending on what it costs to do that, I don't think they're like going into this trade deadline looking to trade their first round pick. But I think that, you know, you could possibly yeah. move some salary, move some other assets. And, uh, you know, maybe you could be a buyer. But uh, to me, another, you know, another quiet transaction period for the Bulls uh, just like they did in the offseason, would be really disappointing. But, uh, you know, this is sort of an indication to me of where their heads are at. Now, the other way you could sort of spin it is that maybe they're like showcasing Thad and Sato for other teams uh, to go trade for them. Or maybe they uh, basically just want to like take a run to see how high they can get up the standings. And then if they're still losing, then maybe they go into seller mode. Because if you look at it right now, after the win, the Bulls are 17 and 20 on the season. Right now, they would be the final seed in the play-in tournament. They're the 10th seed in the East. 
And, uh, you know, if you just look at the top of the East playoff standings, if you don't mind me running through it, Sixers, Nets, Bucks, Locks, the Heat have been great lately. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. They're up to the four seed. Then you got Boston, even though they're 20-18, and 18, it feels like Boston is going to be safe from the play-in tournament. Uh, and then right now for the six seed, you got the Hornets. So that's sort of where the upward mobility is, right? The Hornets are one game over 500, and they have the six seed. So you, and then below them, you got the seventh seeded Knicks, eighth seeded Hawks, ninth seeded Pacers, then the Bulls, and then the only other team in contention for this is the Raptors. And I know that on Raptors Twitter today, the big discussion is should the Raptors be buyers or sellers of the trade deadline? Essentially, like, should they try to tank down? I mean, Lowry's Lowry's name has like been out there for sure. Yeah. He's a free agent after the season. And, you know, the Raptors fans are just having this discussion of, like, should we just play for the lottery pick, see if we can get some luck in the lottery uh, and take it that way. So, you know, I think that it's possible, if, I mean, especially if the Raptors trade Lowry, uh, the Bulls are almost going to get in this play-in tournament by default, <laughs> I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, and so, yeah, it's like it's it's been the whole thing of this season. It's been, like, sort of how do you balance – development, winning, long-term asset building, roster construction. Uh, and quite frankly, the Bulls have taken a very boring approach to it since Karnaschovas <laughs> has taken over. So uh, that is just sort of what I thought, is that you know right now, I think they their chief objective is to win games in the present. Whether or not Clearly, that yeah. should be their chief objective right now is up for debate, but that's what this move signifies to me. Yeah, I mean, all like you mentioned, like all the reporting out there, KOC last week, Casey on our pod even said just like through informed speculation that, I mean, that is effectively not available. Like not, I wouldn't say untouchable, but like it would take a whole lot to get him. It just seems like it's all out there. Um, I, th- I think, what was it? Am- Sam Amick at the Athletic Today did like this whole like 12 guys who could be traded thing. I mean, Thad Young's name it was not listed on there at all. So like clearly just, like you said, just like not much buzz about a Thad Young trade out there. I know like in there, in that Amic thing, I think the only Bulls mentioned was really, I think with a possible like JJ Redick thing, which is kind of weird. I really wouldn't understand adding JJ Redick. The Bulls have enough, enough like decent vet bench guys. Uh, but like Shams had an athletic like trade thing today. And I mean, Bulls, I don't think they were mentioned like there at all. So like, yeah, I mean, just like no buzz around any really Bulls moves. I know there was like the Otto Porter stuff as well. Like maybe a buyout. Like he looked okay. He had a good third quarter in the game against the Raptors last night, but he's been really, in general, he's really struggled with the shot as he tries to work his way back into shape. Um, but yeah, like, you, I mean, you all, you mentioned the like kind of straddling the two like, winning versus development versus like which way they should go like long long term short term thinking i do really think that like zach's ascendancy into a like legitimate all-star stud like long-term piece has probably shift helped shift their mode towards like trying to win right now just because they want to like do right by him and they they want to if they want to keep him they they want to try to win games and try to build a team with him instead of like again bottoming out and we've talked about this like if, if zach like hadn't taken the sleep and he was still like just kind of like a fringe all-star just like but still just like not really like a legit impact guy uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually going in the other direction i mean because they, they'd probably be a worse team this year they'd have more losses uh and they'd be like well really we really just don't have anything here like we can trade zach and get something for him uh, to sell off the other parts, but now that they do have a legit all star and Zach's been playing so well, like I feel like they think, okay, like we need to maybe look in the other direction and try to win games. 
with Zach here. And especially with Billy here, I don't think Billy came here to like rebuild. So like when you have a coach with Billy Donovan, you're paying a lot of money and you have a all-star in Zach Levine. Now you, you do just kind of generally shift towards, we need to start winning some games and make it and like look good for other, whether it's a free agents in coming years, just not be just a complete dumpster fire, not start over again. So, so yeah, I do. I would kind of generally think that, they are looking to win right now. I, I do think the point about like, like maybe this being like a we'll see what we do in the next week. They have two games coming up, or they have a bunch of games coming up still before the deadline. Because they got the Spur, uh, the Thunder tomorrow and Tuesday. Then they got the Spurs to wrap up their home their homestand. Then they go to Denver on Friday, uh, and then I think they play maybe like the Pistons or something. And they have the Jazz coming up as well. They just have a bunch of games left before this deadline. So. Maybe they will see what happens there, and if like it goes worse than expected, maybe they do shift into seller mode, like you said. Uh, otherwise, I do think. I mean, I think they're just going to be in this play-in mix the entire season, almost like even if they do trade that, they might even stay. And like you said, going through those standings, like the Magic are falling apart, the Cavs are terrible, uh, the Pistons suck. Uh, who's the other team that's down? I think that's it. I think that's basically it. Like, there's basically just a, a few teams that just are not going to challenge. So it's. Basically, kind of if the Raptors get like once they get their guys back from this COVID stuff, uh, if they get better, and we'll see how the Pacers do. The Pacers did just get Karis LeVert back. Uh, good for him after that cancer surgery. I did not think he was going to be back so soon. So good for him. So yeah, it will be very interesting to see over this next week. Uh, and like you said, I I I, I think they need to do something. Uh, if they go through this another trade deadline without doing anything, I think that's pretty bad. Like if they want to go look to make a move, like I wouldn't be opposed to like. I would want it to be like a long-term thing. Like I mentioned the JJ Redick thing. Like I'm not going to like, even if it's like minimal assets, like I don't want to give up assets for like a JJ Redick rental. I don't think that's worth it. Like you already got a bunch of guys you can play a bunch of veterans you could play anyways. But like, if you're looking to make like a longer term move, I'm not really sure what that would be. Like, I don't think there's any like big blockbuster trades out there. Like I know like Aaron Gordon's name has been out there, like ton of teams interested in him, but like, I mean, I'm not really sure what the bulls would do with him when you like have Pat here, trying to develop and Aaron Gordon's been kind of a disappointment in his career. He's been hurt lately. So like, is there anyone even not like, I mean, do you do the bulls go try to trade for Kyle Lowry, like a veteran point guard? Like, would you try to do that? Like, I don't know. It was like, I don't know. Would you like, I don't don't even know what it will take to give up to like to get Kyle Lowry. And then they don't have the ammunition to get him. If he's on the block, a team like the Sixers, a team like the Clippers, the Heat, the Heat, Sixers, and Clippers have been like the three teams reported. But he is making thirty million. Amic and his thing today talked about like how that thirty million dollar expiring contract like is going to keep the Clippers away. Like I know they said that they were looking at George Hill instead because he's just much cheaper, just to get a little upgraded point guard. So like, I mean, the Bulls. I guess the Bulls do have the salary if they wanted to move like Otto and then like something else for Kyle Lowry. But like, do you do that for just like this run at the playing tournament? Like I said, they're probably not getting any higher than six. Uh, you're probably, I mean, and that means you're not, not going to avoid one of those three monsters and the Heat are kind of rounding into form as one of those monstrous teams as well. And uh, I mean, maybe we'll see the Celtics. So like, you're, I mean, you're looking at a first round exit, basically best case, unless something just goofy happens with injuries or with COVID or something like that. So like, I mean, is it worth it? Unless it's that long-term upgrade. Like I said, I, if, they, if there was some long-term big trade out there, maybe you can consolidate some of these younger guys into something. Sure. But otherwise, like, yeah, I got, I'm not all about like these short term, like whatever for the playing tournament. I mean, like we haven't even mentioned like Andre Drummond. I know that just the Cavs are still looking to trade him. He might end up getting bought out, but like I mean, like if you did like Otto Porter for Andre Drummond, like 
To sure, me, no. Fine, like, like, I, I don't. I would hate that because to me, that's like a move for the sake of doing a move. And if you yeah. are actually going to try to go into the play-in tournament and win the play-in tournament, like, just I mean, it's just my opinion, obviously. But I think Otto Porter is going to help you a lot more than Andre Drummond would. Uh, well, also you'll be playing Thad more, obviously, as well. If you're playing, if you're sticking with this Thad Lowry front court, and Billy said that nothing is set in stone, and obviously with the deadline, if somebody does get moved. Nothing will be – maybe that does change. But he said that this starting lineup change not set in stone. We'll see how things go, especially, again, when they actually play a good team because they played a team that has lost five in a row and is basically playing G League lineups alongside Kyle Lauer and Norman Powell. Uh, so we'll see how this new lineup do- and just this new just look does do against uh, against better teams. Um, Ricky, any final thoughts here on the Bulls? I know we're going to talk about the tournament real quick here to wrap this up. Uh, I mean, I think that it's just going to be really interesting until the trade deadline comes yep. at the end. Of, and I think it's March 25 is the trade deadline. Yeah, so, so 10 days away. Uh, 10 days yeah. away. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. And I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> there's going to be some consternation in the fan base regardless of what they do. Like, there's people who want to see them tank. There's people who want to see them, uh, you know, try to make the playoffs this year. So it's going to be fascinating. And I think that that is sort of going to be you know, the last of the intrigue for the Bulls until they get into the playing tournament if they do choose, uh, you know, to fight for that and compete for that. So, uh, yeah, hey, we got a more interesting Bulls season than I think we bargained for after the first yeah. two games. <laughs> Certainly more interesting than anything from the Jim Boylan era. So uh, I guess to this point, we'll take it. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the tournament a little bit. Jason and I are currently doing this podcast on video. Jason is wearing an Illini tank top right now, and uh, Jason went to U of I, so you have the alma mater to root for. But I think it's going to be really fun as someone who doesn't have a college basketball team, favorite college basketball team, uh, just have two Chicago schools in it with Illinois and Loyola and then potentially matching up in the second round, in the round of 32. I really went through the entire gamut of emotions when that was announced. Like, I did not want it to happen. I woke up thinking about it, too. I was like, God, I really hope Loyola <laughs> avoids an eight seed. That would be so horrible. Uh, so uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me bring that up here. So, like, and, they, and this, was, uh, ta- this was talked about last night as well. Like, Loyola, what are they ranked? Like, 20th? But you look at some of like, their advanced metrics, like their Ken Palm and, like, their net and they were like 10 to 15, but I kept seeing like this entire season, them on this like eight, nine line. Like, do you think that they were, what would that be, underseeded at eight? Like, do you think they should have been higher? Like, just based on these other metrics, I know like they're, they're a smaller school, their strength of schedule isn't like as hard in general, but like, because I feel like for Illinois, like, like playing Loyola, I feel like it's kind of getting screwed as if they, if Loyola, Loyola does have to beat who? Who are they playing as the Georgia Tech, season? who won the Tech, ACC? Georgia Tournament. Tech. So, I mean, yeah, so like, it was a surprising run for Georgia Tech. Yeah, I will say the efficiency numbers love Loyola. They're number nine in the country yeah. in Ken Palm and on the net ratings, right. which are supposed to be what they use to determine the bracket. They're they're tenth uh, in the net ratings. The reason Loyola didn't uh, get a higher seed is because the way they put together the brackets now, like every game is put into one of four quadrants, and they really the committee really weighs quad one and quad two victories and in quad one and quad two they're like six and four and then they're undefeated in quad three and quad four Loyola I'm talking about so uh yeah like they don't really have a signature non-conference victory this time around like 
when they went to the final four in 2018, they beat Florida, who was number five in the polls at the time at Florida. They don't have that this time around. I still thought they absolutely could have got like a seven or even a six. If they were the seven in the Midwest, which is where they're currently the eight, they would have a great chance, I think, to get to the elite eight against Illinois. And instead, they got to play them in the round of 32. So I do think it's unlucky for Illinois, but I also think it's very unlucky for Loyola because Illinois is one of the few teams I think that matches up very well with Loyola just because they have someone who can body uh, Cam Crutwig. Cam Crutwig is Loyola's senior center. He's had an absolutely phenomenal season. He's like top 10 in the country in BPM. Uh, He's top 10 in... Incredible stash uh, in the Ken Palm player of the year rankings. He's had just an amazing season. Uh, he was a freshman starter on their 2018 final four team. And now he's a senior. He's probably not, he's not someone who has generated any NBA buzz or who will probably ever even get a cup of coffee in the NBA, but he is a dominant college big man. He's basically six, eight, six, nine big man. I interviewed him for a Q and a at SB nation last week. Uh, Jacobs high school alum, for people who are uh, from the state and uh, who know the local high school. So, yeah, I think that, you know, Krutwig has such a big advantage on pretty much any other front court he's going up against. Well, now you got to deal with Kofi Coburn. And Kofi is just, yeah. uh, he's on another level. I mean, we saw him basically go toe-to-toe with Luca Garza in the Big Ten tournament. Garza is the presumptive player of the year in college basketball. And Coburn got the best of him. I mean, it wasn't even close. I thought Kofi uh, just really showed how special he can be within Illinois' offense, which is a very NBA-style offense, in my opinion. I mean, it's a lot of spread pick and roll, a lot of dribble handoffs. It's basically four guards around a dominant big man. Uh, So, you know, I've been asking people this and just sort of like kicking this around uh in my little circle but like if illinois and loyola were to play a seven game series you know where do you think it would end in my answer on this is that i think illinois would win in six so as an illinois fan and alum jason i don't know if that makes you more comfortable or less comfortable heading into this game because in a single elimination (laughs) tournament of course anything can happen uh but to me i mean Illinois, I wrote about this today. They got such a tough draw in the Midwest. I mean, the Midwest is absolutely loaded. (laughs) I do think they're the best team, though. So there's, you know, a lot of potential pitfalls. I mean, they're they're on fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're on fire. Uh, I think they're up to two in, like, the the AP poll. I mean, they just won the Big Ten tournament. They... They they blew out... Who was it? They blew blew out Rutgers. They handled Iowa pretty much. I mean... They they handled Iowa pretty well. Like they they were at arm's length for most of that game. Then they came out and blew out Ohio State from the start, and then answered the punches, winning overtime. Even though Iowa like did not play that well, uh, yeah. And they're just they're on fire. They're playing great basketball. Like they should absolutely be, probably the favorite in that, uh, in that uh, whatever region. But like yeah, like you said, it, it is tough because if they do get past, if it is Loyola, whatever, whoever they play in that second round. Then they're possibly looking at fucking Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State if they get that far, which is brutal. Because like I feel like I thought OSU was looking at maybe like a three seed or maybe even a two. I, f- I think they did lose. They lost in the Big Twelve cha- championship game or right before that. Maybe kind of nuked their chance of but getting a little beat higher. Baylor so, in Baylor smoked right Illinois. exactly. Like so like I thought for sure. Yeah, I thought for sure Oklahoma State was getting a th- like a three. So to have to face them possibly in the Sweet Sixteen, just like that. It just seems like the, their Illinois is just facing a couple possibly like underseeded 
teams and then, uh, uh, to get to the Elite Eight. And if you do so get to tough. the Elite Eight, it could be your old friend Calvin Sampson. Uh, all the Illinois right, fans yeah, I know are still mad about Eric Gordon signing <laughs> with Indiana in 2006 or whatever. So got to bring that one up yes. any chance we can. <laughs> Uh, but Illinois is the best team in that region. The thing I ask myself yeah. every year at the start of the tournament is, are the good teams actually good? And I think Illinois is absolutely legit. I think that the way Underwood has sort of remolded their offense and their defense, they basically, it's so funny, like watching college basketball, people try to like describe what they're doing. Because uh, it's basically just like drop coverage from what I can tell. Unless, you know, not not like I have the ultra sharpest eye for the game, but it seems like they're playing drop coverage and sort of with pack line principles, which is uh, the defense that Tony Bennett uh, famously uses at uh, Virginia. And instead, you know, when Underwood first got there, they were basically running the Boylan defense where they were just blitzing ball handlers. and They were doing a lot of full court press. So very aggressive. And they fouled the, sh- fouled the lot. Yeah. So they're basically just playing more conservative drop defense. Uh, and then offensively, you know, just the fact that it's, a ball screen driven game and you have Io DeSumo, who's arguably, you know, the best guard in the country besides for Cade. Uh, you know, I mean, as, as I say this, I'm like, he's not better than Jalen Suggs though, but you know, he's, he's one of the best guards in the country. He's probably the best junior in the country, perhaps. Uh, so he's a dominant player. Okay, I mean, co- college, obviously there's a difference yeah, there's a difference between whatever. And I mean, I would say Suggs is really good too. But I mean, just like NBA wise, obviously those guys are on another level. Even though I, I'm curious to see where Io goes in the NBA draft this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's obviously been great. He's clutch. Usually he wasn't the most clutch yesterday. Took some really bad, a bad shots. Game that for last him. that last three pointer of regulation was like a was definitely him trying to be like Dame Lillard or Kobe. Uh, and he even did a the little Kobe tribute after the game in the in the locker room. Uh, but I mean, in general, he's been like Dame esque in clutch situations. He can get basically anywhere he wants for like a mid range shot or three pointers. The one he took yesterday was not yeah, so good. Was not but uh, and then, but then even behind him, when you have a guard, Andre Curbelo, who has come along really strong in the last, I feel he's been huge for the team, like in their hot stretch recently. Because he like he's started obviously as a freshman. He came in not the best shooter. His decision making was kind of all over the place. Uh, and he had a really rough stretch in the middle of the season where he was like unplayable for a few games. Since then, he's bounced back and he's been incredible. I think he had huge numbers. I think throughout the Big Ten tournament, and he just looked really good. He's a wizard with the ball. I mean, you you know, you've, I feel like you've watched a lot of him. He fills me with like, more so joy fun. than any college basketball player I've yeah. seen in a long time. I love Curbelo. and my Poppy Curbelo. my buddies. Um, Connor and Doyle were talking to each other and one of them sent me the screenshot. They said that Curbelo pulls off all the moves that I failed to do in pickup, which <laughs> is maybe the most accurate description of my pickup basketball game I've ever heard. Uh, so I love Curbelo. I think the fact that, you know, what Illinois is going to need to do is find consistent third scoring from someone outside of Io. Yeah. And Miller. And they have a lot of options, right? Like it can be Curbelo. It could be Adam Miller. It could be Trent Frazier. And those guys Frazier. can even... Really, it could just be who gets hot on any given day. In that even George Ohio State game, yeah, uh, Demonte Williams was good too. So they have. And by the way, let's just put a pin in this. I know that I'm like you know getting a little older here, but nothing makes me feel old than Frankie Williams' kid being a senior on Illinois. I mean, Frank Williams yeah. was like one of my first favorite college basketball players, <laughs> and the fact that his kid's a senior uh, is just basically mind-blowing to me Uh, i do think illinois is very good i think that they have a very treacherous path through the tournament now maybe georgia tech beats loyola i mean 
while I do think that Loyola is way underseeded, you know, you're playing the ACC tournament champions in Georgia Tech. Would Loyola have won the ACC tournament? Like, I think it's possible, but uh, I mean, it's a gauntlet to do something like that. So I don't think it's a guarantee by any yeah. means that Loyola is going to win that first game. Uh, you know, if they don't play Cade Cunningham in Oklahoma State, they would probably play Tennessee, who's the fifth seed. They have two lottery picks in Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. In the second round, we're likely to get Tennessee versus Oklahoma State. That'll be the best prospect matchup in terms of the NBA draft all season in college basketball. Uh, you know, three lottery picks on the floor together. That would be really fun. Excuse me. So uh, I think that, you know, it's going to be a tough, tough go for Illinois. Uh, but I do think they're le- legit. You know, I think that they have passed basically every test in terms of the eye test, you know, the analytic lens uh, to me. So anything can happen in a single elimination tournament, but I think Illinois is awesome. Yep. Yeah, and I made a joke yesterday on Twitter because I think you picked OK State to beat them. Yeah, I mean, you know why? And I'll give my reasoning for that. So I always do the instant bracket picks every year after the brackets announced. And going into it, I was totally convinced I was picking Illinois to go to the final four. And I was going to pick Gonzaga to win it all, no matter what. Now I'll have a story on Gonzaga on Tuesday on SBNation.com if you guys want to read a little bit more about that. That'll be fair. But uh, those were like my two notions going into it, right? And then I didn't really like anyone to beat Baylor in Baylor's region. So I had Baylor going, and I didn't want to take three number one seeds. Now, maybe that's just stupid. Maybe there will end up being three number one seeds in the NCAA (laughs) tournament. Uh, but yeah. And then I just thought there were a lot of pitfalls for Illinois. Like I do think Loyola could potentially be fair. And then, you know, you have to play Cade or Keon and Springer and Tennessee is an absolutely elite defense. They've kind of been like super disappointing all year, to be honest. And it's a Rick Barnes team in the tournament. Their offense is just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can never really trust a Rick Barnes team in the tournament. You couldn't get to the (laughs) sweet 16 with Kevin Durant for Christ's sakes. Uh, It'll be interesting. I mean, I'm yeah. praying that they can actually get through this tournament uh, without positive tests, without getting more people sick. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, it was very easy to say, why the hell are we still doing this after Duke, Kansas and Virginia all got booted from their conference tournament for a positive test? It's like uh, the fact that they had the conference tournament so close to the NCAA tournament with no cushion uh I don't know. It's like a lot of people are traveling, you know, multiple times in the span of a couple of weeks and they're trying to pull off the bubble thing, but it seems like it could get undermined really quickly. So hopefully we can have a, you know, a safe competitive tournament. And if that's the case, I think, uh, you know, it's just fun that Illinois is so good that Loyola is so good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if I'll say this, if Illinois makes the final four, they will truly have earned it. Because even if there's some upsets, I don't think they are going to have an easy path in any way uh, throughout the bracket. So, yeah, we'll see. I will obviously be picking them to win it all because that is my homer self, except they can actually kind of do it this year. So, uh, I mean, just all those top teams. I, when I went through like my initial look at the bracket, I'm just like, I'm not literally like I, I Gonzaga is obviously incredible. I have them in the. I have Illinois with Gonzaga in the title game. Ned, I mean, I feel like that's like cliche for, for somebody like me. Uh, Baylor, uh, I don't see anyone losing to them. Uh, Michigan, I probably would have had going super far, but with Livers' injury, like I'm just, I think I had them losing in the Sweet 16 and to just kind of get one of the one seeds out. But it's like all these top teams are just like so good this year. I feel like it's 
really a bunch of really good teams in college basketball this year. So it should hopefully be a lot of fun. Echo your statements about hopefully we get through it with no, nothing, no COVID debacles. So we will see. That that starts on Friday. I mentioned that the uh, – I guess there are the, those early games this earlier this week, but Illinois starts on Friday. As for the – back to the Bulls, we're going to wrap it up here. Obviously, we've been uh, going here for a little bit. Uh, again, they play the Oklahoma City Thunder on Tuesday, the Spurs on Wednesday. The wrap up at home saying we'll probably – I'll try to do – We'll probably be back to talk some more after, maybe after that home stand for our next pod. We'll see. Uh, obviously, I know Ricky's got tons of stuff going on with the tournament coming up because it's, it's his deal. So we will see on that. But uh, that'll be a, it for us here today at Cash Considerations, the Chicago Bulls podcast. As always, shout out to the Blue Iron Network. For us, please rate and review us, subscribe, all that good stuff. You know where to find us on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. Ricky's at, at SB underscore Ricky. Um, so we will talk to you guys next time, too. Ton, ton of basketball coming up this week. That's fun with an NCAA tournament. Tons of Bulls games. It's a fun time of the year in March. This is March. We'll talk to you guys next time.